Hello and welcome to episode 1256 of The Sleeper in the Bust. It is Monday, February 12th. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, joined this morning by Justin Mason. And Justin, it's baseball season. What's going on, man? How you doing? <laughs> uh, I mean, I always love this time of year because everybody really switches their attention over to baseball. There's a part of me that's all like, Baseball seasons every day. Like, I of course, don't, both yeah, of us I mean, we're psychotically interested in baseball, but uh, you know, other people have other interests, including football. But you know, once that uh, final snap of the Super Bowl happens, got to get my tweet out, and we officially kick off. Yeah, and uh, I, for one, am excited. Uh, you know, just more excited than I've been. Of course, pitchers and catchers on the cusp. I imagine the uh, the teams are packing up all the gear and probably already on their way down to Florida or to Arizona, depending on where they're going, but it's back. I mean, we, we have basically for all intents and purposes made it through the winter. Now I know a lot of y'all still going to have winter weather. It's pretty chilly here today around 40, but, um, that I don't care. I'm comforted. I'm comforted by the warmth of pitchers and catchers reporting. <laughs> How you yeah. doing this morning? Uh, I'm excited because at some point these rest, these free agents got a sign, right? Like, you would think, man, I still can't believe that, you know, the the comeback player of the year, I don't know if he actually won it, but I'm calling Cody Bellinger that, and the NL Cy Young are just hanging. Yeah, just chilling. Um, like, what's going on, dude? And that doesn't even, you know, Matt Chapman and yeah. Jordan Montgomery, like, yeah. They're just chilling. It's not just um, those two. Like there, there are other good players. Like you just named two really. Those guys could be game changers for a club. They're all potentially hundred million dollar players. Yep. And just chilling right now. Uh, so uh, I'm hoping they sign this week because pitchers and catchers report really, really soon. I know there was a report that uh, Jordan Montgomery was expected to sign uh at uh, this week so okay i'm hoping that maybe that opens up the logjam and uh and we start to see people how <sighs> eager do you think they get you know um i know snell specifically maybe bellinger too are our boris clients i'm sure others mm -hmm. are and he's great right like i would want him as my guy but when do you think that maybe they start getting nervous of you know, his plan or whatever and say, I want to be somewhere when the freaking thing starts, dude. Like what, where would you be with, with that? Would you just say, let Scott do his thing because he's got so much proven track record that I'm going to get what I get and he's going to take care of me. Or would you be like, I got to be there for P's and C's ready to go. I mean, I, I would like, especially for the pitchers, you would think that they would want to be there, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, you know, for the hitters, we, we've heard a lot of, uh, major league guys go, yeah, we need like two weeks. True. Right? Like, yeah. They don't give a shit about um, Bellinger's like, I got three, four weeks before I even care about. Yeah. Like, so uh, I, I would think Snell and Montgomery, especially want to be in their spot. I mean, I think it also probably depends on where they're at generally in life, right? Like if you've got a True. family, you want to know where you're going to be. Like, yep. you know, you've got schools and, you know, homes and things to buy. It's not like, you know, if you're a single dude, like, Oh, I'll just go get my apartment wherever. Like, yeah, shack up uh, with a, a buddy until I find my new spot in the new place because everyone's got a friend, at least one friend on a team that they've played with throughout some time in their life, right? They, it's mm -hmm. I would imagine it's pretty rare to go to a team where you have zero connection. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good call out. I know Montgomery's married. We've talked about that before, uh, some considerations with his wife and where she was. I want to say Blake has gotten married recently or at least has um, a significant other. I don't know that 
either have kids or not. But um, yeah, I think that's a, you know, that's an interesting consideration of like, hey, we got the family stuff to deal with. And that is where significant others, you know, they, they probably don't get their due for kind of keeping the households going when all this sort of crazy yeah. chaos and turmoil is, is going on. The, the, you know, significant other has to do so much to kind of keep that going. So good luck to them getting signed. We do have a few notes to talk about and I want to get into these outfielders. So let's go ahead and get started. Oh, actually, I want to show you one thing though. Did you notice my shirt? I didn't. That is amazing. Yeah. So uh, Jen got this made for me. It's of Charlotte and uh, it's in that, you know, now popularized uh, return to like the 80s, 90s shirts of like a collage with a cool text font uh, of the name of the of the person, or in this case, the dog. I have a lot of amazing shirts. This is the single greatest one I own, and I don't think it's ever coming off. I love it. I, I could not Speaking be Speaking of it. amazing shirts. Uh, that segue. I'm doing inadvertent right? segues here. Go ahead. Rotoware has made new TGFBI shirts. So if you're in TGFBI or in TGFBI satellite and like a TGFBI shirt, uh, you need to pre-order by February 26th, uh, and he'll okay, start okay. printing and sending them out uh, on February uh, 29th. Uh, there's still time. That's a fake to... date. You're you're scamming me. Yeah, no, it's a real thing <laughs> this year. It's a I, have a, yep. I, I have a buddy who was born on the 29th, and he tells people, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm seven. I'm turning seven this <laughs> yeah. year. Um, so. Uh, uh, and then there's still time to sign up for TGFBI satellites if you want to try to win your way into next year's TGFBI. Uh, and then Potapalooza is coming up in about two weeks. So. Couple weeks, man. Again, yeah, a lot, it's a here. lot of amazing like, things to we like. Have made it through the winter. It's great. Yeah. So let's talk about a couple signings. Then we'll get into these outfielders. Uh, you didn't even know about this one. This one was like yeah. under the radar yesterday. You know, your wife's uh, team was in the Super Bowl yesterday. You've been recovering the family from some hell. So I understood why this slid under your radar, but Yasmani Grandal lands in Pittsburgh. And I think this is a pretty good, pretty good spot for him here. You know, we've talked about how Henry Davis is going to be moving back behind the dish, former number one overall pick, uh, due in part because he was catcher, had gotten moved off. Now they kind of want to say, hey, we, we need to get more value there. But his defense is part of why he was moved from behind the dish. Meaning bringing in somebody who is a bit more defensive minded, even though his bat has really evaporated in recent years, this could be like a 55-45 situation, especially if they they aren't putting Davis back there all the time and they are still giving him the occasional outfield or DH start. Now, again, I mentioned the bat evaporation. It's been severe for Yasmani Grandal, one-time stalwart in the fantasy market, particularly OBP leagues. Uh, he's down to a 74 OPS plus in the last two seasons, Justin, and going into his age 35 season. I know it'll come down to health and we can't necessarily know that, but does this landing spot in Pittsburgh for Yasmani Grandal give you any intrigue in him, uh, particularly in DCs, I would think most right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I've always loved Grandal. I feel like he, uh, you know, prior to kind of the just sharp decline. He was one of the steadiest contributors from the offense perspective. Yep. Uh, it's hard to know what he is, but if you're getting him as like a C3 or something, or even a C4, like fine, I'll like, I'll take the gamble that he's something. Same. Um, and it's not like he's going to be playing every day. So I'm not as worried about injuries like popping up and, and, and crushing his value. So, uh, but in your, Traditional leagues in your 12 team two catcher leagues or 15 team two catcher leagues, probably a waiver wire guy. Yeah, 
uh, and because if the bat returns, then maybe we, we jump back in a little bit more uh, head first on him. But yeah, DC's, I already have him in one. I speculated because he was mm-hmm. dirt cheap because Grandal was unsigned. But, you know, they got Roddy Telez at first base, too. So if things go well for Telez, or for Grandal, I could see him getting some verse left at bats over at first base or DH sure. as well and really get the playing time back up. Uh, so, yeah, I think this is a good spot for him to uh, really hopefully try to get his career back on track. The plate skills are still pretty solid. Like the walk rate dipped below 12% for the first time since 2017 um, at 9% last year, but only 21% K. So it, it's just the power outage. And that's really been the issue here. It's just gone these last two years. I'm going to chalk a lot of it up to injury, but at age 35, there's no guarantees that it comes back. So just keep tabs yeah. on Grandal. Could be a nice little signing I- for him. I will just say, if you're looking at streaming stolen bases, Grandall had one of the worst pop times in Major League Baseball last year. There you year. go. Now, uh, if those of you who play in DSS, those of you who play in uh, like daily pickup leagues, like look when Grandall's in the lineup, maybe look at a cheap speed to kind of rotate in if you're looking for a couple uh, stolen bases. Love that. You're always trying to get your edge wherever you can. That could definitely be an avenue for it. A small little move here with Spencer Turnbull moving over to Philadelphia. Um, This does not surprise me at all. Uh, There was a falling out between management and Turnbull this year in Detroit. Um, It just looked like there was no way that he was going to stick around. You know, they were talking like they they were going to keep him, but push come to shove, I figured that they were looking, you know, that they weren't necessarily worried about bringing him back after non-tendering him. One year, two mil to go back with his old GM, Dave Dombrowski in Philly. Still has talent and maybe a fresh start where you're not uh, beefing with the front office will be good. He's going to be a six, seven starter type over in Philadelphia, but he's shown some things in previous years before he got hurt, including 50 innings of a 288 ERA and an 098 whip uh, in 2021, which I believe included his no hitter. 31 busted innings last year. You know, not going to put too much stock in that or really in the 50 innings of 2021 because that is 50 innings. But does uh, Spencer Turnbull hit your radar at all in super deep leagues for Philly? Are you keeping tabs on him? Is he somebody you would be at all interested in? Yeah, I mean, he's someone I'll maybe like throw a, a late dart at in a DC or something like that. It just signifies that there was some talk that Philadelphia could jump in on Jordan Montgomery or uh, Blake Snell, and this kind of signifies probably not. So they'll stick with the five they've got: Wheeler, Nola, mm-hmm. Suarez, Taiwan Walker, Christopher Sanchez. Now Turnbull is probably that sixth guy, yeah. and then maybe they pick up another guy to. to well, they also seven. got Andrew Painter coming back probably True. around like May or June, and Mick Abel uh, and Griff McGarry are our previous top yeah. prospects of theirs that are kind of on the cusp there in AAA. So they might just say, "Hey, we've got enough right now." Exactly. Um, but yeah, Turnbull on the radar. If, if things start to turn and he kind of recaptures some of that intrigue um, and, and there's a spot opening, we could see something there. Uh, this one just came across. So I'm, I'm throwing this one at you. I don't think it's going to throw you for a loop, but Jerks and Profar going back out to San Diego. Um, anything there? I've, I've, been, I've been a big Profar fan in the past, but you know, there, there's not a ton of fantasy relevance. No, I mean, Here's the thing, though, like with them losing Soto and losing Trent Grisham, he's probably an everyday player. Like, um, so I know they also picked up Oscar Mercado on a minor league deal and he's a non-roster invite. Uh, So, I mean, Profar from just like a straight 
volume perspective, he's probably going to play pretty close to every day, at least uh, as things stand right now. So unless they bring in someone else, which I just I don't see them doing. No, um, I think Profar is going to play every day. So like it probably isn't. It's amazing. Like Profar was like that dude, right? Like the was the Rangers wouldn't trade him for Giancarlo Stanton. Um, you know, uh, he was that prospect that everybody sounds sure, funny now, but he was, yeah, he was the he undisputed was number one. Uh, but like you're talking like 12 home runs, maybe, you know, a few, maybe five stolen bases. Like it's just not an inspiring profile. Uh, but like he will play every day. So in DC, it's like you need guys like that and NL only. So maybe that mm-hmm. volume could work. Uh, he could spike like a 250 plus average, which would be okay too. Yeah. So that's probably the, the best of what we're going to see there from Jerkson Profar. A Jerkson Profar type player here with uh, Nick Gordon. You know, there was really no room at the end for him in Minnesota. He gets traded over to Miami where he could carve out some playing time. He's an infield outfield type. Uh, never really done a whole lot. But do you see anything there? Because it's, I think it's that same exact sort of outlook where you say the the volume could be there. Now, he's not penciled into a starting role the way Profar is because the Padres had Cal Mitchell penciled in at left. And yeah, I, I believe Profar will have that job over Cal Mitchell. Uh, Gordon is penciled in for the bench, but there's a lot of potential avenues there um, across both the infield and outfield, both with injury risks and just performance risks. Could Nick Gordon hit your radar at all for NL only or DCs toward the uh, last 10 rounds? Yeah, this is a really interesting landing spot. Again, this is another one of those signings where I think the most interesting part about that is that this means Miami's probably out on Tim Anderson and other guys uh, because every single one of their projected bench guys right now, plus a number of their projected starters are out of options now. Like yep. Nick Gordon doesn't have options. That's one of the reasons Minnesota had to trade him. So um, <laughs> I don't know what they're doing, but whatever. Like he's one of those guys that like, I think he could accumulate 400 plus plate appearances by just being a super utility guy. The only issue is they've got a million of these guys. They've got yeah. Bruan, they've got John Birdie. Now they've got Nick Gordon. Who, so, who like, will rise there, right? Like you got to kind of take your pick. It's going to be who Birdie, might right? Like, it's probably going to be stupid like, John Birdie. I mean, not stupid. Like he's fine. <laughs> like Birdie's like, you know, 34 years old. and he's I still like your Tim Anderson idea for them. Even I do with too. This, they should still consider it, but I think you're right. They probably won't because as you mentioned, their entire bench is out of options. Jesus Sanchez is out of options. Um, Birdie has options, but they're not going to send a 34-year-old John Birdie down. I, I don't think so. So, yeah, I just, it, it does look a little bit dicier right now. But I, I think, you know, DCs, I've had a soft spot for Nick Gordon for years. Uh, I think I already have him in one DC. Again, in the last 10 rounds. Rounds 41 through 50, sure, I'll take a look. He might be a little bit more expensive now. Would I pay round 37 or some crap? Sure. I don't know that he is more expensive now. Honestly, maybe, I, maybe not. Maybe not. He's moving but, to a much worse ballpark. And like, I think you know, the PT opens up, though. Again, we're talking 650. 660 oh versus minnesota absolutely yeah maybe but but either way it, let's not get bogged down in that we want to talk some outfielders today yeah. so let's go ahead and do that we're going to get into outfield preview part one here let's just start at the top and we are talking with adps since january 1st which is now 67 drafts i, I looked at it since uh february 1st saying oh maybe it's more updated only four yeah 
So there's that many in, in January. It, it just has to end in February. So. Yeah, exactly. But I, I was surprised that it's only been that many so yeah. far. I would have thought that it was closer to, I don't know, like 50 and 17 as far as the 67 being split. But no, 67 drafts now here in January uh, with this data. Ron Lacuna, number one. He's the undisputed number one. He always goes number one. Outside of, I, I, I think... You know, as as we get into the spring and OCs are opening up and then the mains, I think there will be some pitchers who go number one, but I don't know that there'll be another hitter. Can, can you make a case for any other hitter to go number one or are you just overthinking it if you move? Even acknowledging that Acuna is not necessarily going to repeat, right? Like we don't just pencil somebody in for a direct repeat of their previous season. Can you carve out a case as to why you would take somebody else? Um, I mean, like you said, I, I can understand someone taking Strider one, um, or maybe even Garrett Cole one. Um, yeah, if, but that's, that's it, your right? Pitcher. Maybe that's a pitcher. Probably it outside of an Acuna injury. Like that's the only. If Acuna got hurt in spring training, then yeah, obviously someone else could easily. But I think there is a clear number one this year, and then another tier. Yes. But a thick tier. So yeah, uh, let, yeah. let's let's go ahead and get into that. Uh, sorry, you know, Cunha fans, there's just not a ton for us. He's great. He's a stud. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. yeah. Well, what do you want us to say? Like, I'll it, tell you. Like, I don't necessarily want the second or third pick this year, but one is my preferred draft spot because you get a Cunha. Yeah, just give me a Cunha and I, and I'll go from there because yeah, he's a god. He's panning out to everything that we all had hoped and expected and then some. And again, even if he gives back a decent bit of last year, he can still easily be number one. He went 4173 with a 337 average. Just absolutely not obscene. a single player has gone number one, including Strider. That's uh, what I'm saying. Since the beginning of the DC. We won't even see it till March if we do. And it'll yeah. be somebody who says, I got to get my ace and I want Strider. And I can understand it. But like as far as hitters, I think you're overthinking yourself if you try to yeah. go Carroll or J-Rock. But let's talk about first round gems, Justin, because there are seven more with firm first round ADPs and then a an eighth who occasionally gets into the first round. But let's start with these seven. J-Rod, Julio Rodriguez at three, Corbin Carroll at four, Mookie Betts at five, Kyle Tucker at six, Fernando Tatis Jr. at eight, Juan Soto at 11, and Aaron Judge at 12. Focusing on the next three that go within that top five there, J-Rod, Carroll, and Betts, do you have a lean? If you get that number two pick, do you go Witt or do you go one of these outfielders? Um, I, I've switched it up. I've had two, okay. I think, twice this year, or maybe maybe I have two and three. Um, and yeah, I, I've had it twice. I took Betts and Carroll. Yeah, I've taken Betts and Wit. Um, I want to say I took J Rod in a draft as well. So like, I I I could go either way. Like, I think that these guys are also super close to each other. They all have upsides. I think it, some of it depends on the format, right? Like. You know, an NFBC with the overall kind of construct, I tend to lean towards the guys that I think can give me the better batting average because I think the batting average is harder to get late. Mm -hmm. uh, but in like a traditional league where there's no overall, there's, you know, um, especially uh, like in your 10s and 12s, I might lean with just because the counting categories are just going to be so good, uh, you know. I love bets because of the second base eligibility, being able to love move that. him uh, to second. I don't think you can go wrong. Like, I don't think 
this isn't one of those years where I'm going to like berate someone for taking a guy second um, yeah. of the, you know, of the guys that we're talking about right now. Yeah. I just don't know what that would look like trying to, trying to clown somebody on that. You can have your yeah. preference, but you can't really make a compelling case to go against somebody and say, how could you do that? You, you, you botched it. No, there's, no. there is no botching. Um, so yeah, I totally agree there. And then you're looking at J-Rod, Carroll and Betts as those three, I don't even really have a hard lean on any of those three. I, I would be open to diversifying that. I tend to go the opposite. Uh, I kind of invert them, Betts, Carol, J-Rod. Uh, but I, I basically let personal preference play into that. I, again, I'm yeah. not going to tell anybody that has J-Rod three. No, no, you have to have Betts. I like that extra second base eligibility. That I, is a little tiebreaker. I think you can throw Kyle Tucker into this mix. Absolutely. Too. Let's bring him into the mix there. Kyle like, Tucker at six can you would you take him as high as two there if somebody said that that's my guy are you are you clowning them are you letting tucker no. be as, as high as that okay yeah because i'm with you we and we've touted tucker you know uh, not that we're like uh you know pioneers but uh, we've always been pro tucker as he's kind of inched his way up the board and now here he is at six if if i get quote unquote stuck with pick six and i have to get kyle tucker i mean that's amazing that's why it's like one or push me deeper in the draft and let me just get what's left of these amazing studs. Yeah, like I, I'm totally excited to draft like seven or eight this year mm -hmm. because I know I'm going to be leaving a draft with, you know, one of these guys or Strider or like, I mean, it's just I'm totally fine with it. It's uh, uh, so much heat in the first round. Kyle Tucker kind of being separated from this group a little bit after ostensibly a 30 30 season with a 288 batting average and now dusty baker's gone he's not batting fifth anymore right like he's gonna bat third or fourth in this lineup he belongs up there he's belonged up there and that's always been honestly that's like been the major knock it wasn't even against tucker it was like well they bat him five or yeah. six sometimes so he gets pushed down a little bit um and i know it's for like the right left aspect of it just bat the two lefties in a row. I don't give yeah. a shit. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> like when when these guys are this good, like I, I just don't care. Like so, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I think Kyle Tucker, another one of these guys. Like I just think you can't be disappointed leaving your draft with nope. Kyle Tucker as like your first pick. And all four in these sixty-seven drafts in question have gone second at some yeah. point. Yeah. And but Tucker's gone as low as ten. Get me in that draft where I'm getting him at 10, for God's sakes. I would and, love And that's that. the thing, too. Like, for those of you who do play in leagues uh, like we do, um, as the pitchers get pushed up in March, like, some of these guys are going to be available at 9 or 10. Yep. You know, fairly regularly, right? Like, it's just you're going to be sitting there at 9 or 10 and going, okay, I can get one of these guys or I can get one of the top pitchers off the board. Or our next three. Let's bring these guys mm -hmm. in. Also first rounders, Tatis Jr., Soto, and Judge. Now it's Tatis Jr. at eight. And I'm just calling him Tatis. I don't have to put the Jr. every time. But Tatis at eight and then Soto Judge at 11, 12. So uh, Tatis a little bit higher there. He can be one of the guys who gets pushed down a little bit with pitchers coming in. Not saying that that's, you know, that he necessarily should be. I'm kind of on the Tatis train for maybe the first time ever, which is kind of weird because 
this is, you know, he's back in the first round. He wasn't a first rounder last year, but of course he had the rest of his suspension and the injuries to contend with. And so I was worried. I just didn't want to take the gamble and Hey, it paid off for those that took him 25 and 29 on the homers and steals 257 average. Wasn't great, but you didn't lose on Tatis if you took him there, but he's going to be 25. Um, I think he has a real shot to get back. He's going to be 25. He's 25 years old going into his fourth, uh, fifth season. I think he has a chance to get back to like the 2021 type levels. Um, so, yeah, I'm actually kind of in on Tatis for the first time. And I, again, you're telling me in the middle of the first round that I can get Tatis here. I just feel great about that. And again, it's not to berate any of those guys going ahead it's just the depth of the first round that if i'm sitting at 9 10 11 uh, i might end up with tatis and i have no issues with that what do you think we see more of 2022 or 20 excuse me 2023 when he had a 113 wrc plus or the 2021 guy who you know or actually the 2019 through 2021 guy who was a 150s wrc plus type of guy 151 151 and 158 in those three years and of course he missed all of 2022 where do we stand with fernando tatis jr yeah i think that i, I mean i do kind of think 2021 is a little bit of the ceiling like okay. maybe that is the best season um which is fine because yeah I think last year is a really good indication of what he'll probably be, um, which is a guy who could be 20, 25, 30, or maybe even 30, 30 with a decent batting average. Um, and like, yes, the bottom half of the San Diego lineup isn't very good, but top half is still pretty good. So uh, like, I think there's gonna be plenty of RBIs and runs scored. Uh, like I don't have an issue, especially because now this is going to be the first full season we've seen from Tatis probably ever right like so like uh if you're if talking you, like sorry dinner like 150 plus games because last year 635 yeah. that's technically a full season but like you said like he missed time not due to injury but due to yeah. suspension like i have no real issues at this point with the shoulder um you know uh maybe that's a tiebreaker thing and that's why you push him behind the previous tier but i think tatis deserves to be talked about as a mid first rounder with the potential of being the best player in fantasy, because we've seen that kind of skill from him before. Exactly. And that's precisely where I'm at with Tatis. And that's why I am finally in ready to kind of take that, that plunge and pay the premium price. He's gone as high as three. Uh, his former teammate is now teammates with, with this next guy, uh, Soto and judge go together there with the Yankees at 11, 12. Do you have a preference between the two or yeah. strong preference? I should say. Uh, I mean, I know this is going to be kind of like old trope for me, but like one of these guys is not like the other, and that that's Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge is not uh, does not deserve to be a first rounder, in my opinion. Wait, um, wait, 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 wait! I understand the health concern, but that is a health snake concern, right there. The absolute health concerns. Like so, tonight I'm writing an article. Uh, for 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 fantasy pros um, that talks about like how do you construct your draft in the early rounds mm -hmm. and the way you construct your draft in the the way you should construct your draft in the early rounds so this is for high stakes leagues um, is by trying to mix in as little risk as possible yeah definitely want mitigate upside. risk with upside. and as much as I love the upside of Aaron Judge and he does have the potential to be the number one player in fantasy this year um, like. The risk is apparent. Like we thought we were over the injury issues. We're not over the injury issues. In fairness, I never um, thought we were. Yeah. Uh, 
I didn't either. <laughs> so uh, we're not over their injury issues. Like in, don't get me wrong. Like last year was, you know, pretty, uh, pretty yeah, amazing. So that's going to be the pushback, right? Is that even when he only played 106 games, uh, judge gave you 37 homers, 267, 75 mm -hmm. with 79 runs. Like, so what, what's your answer to that? Like if, if that, if I'm somebody saying, well, that's my floor, and my upside is 62, 16 with 131 ribbies and a 311 average. Why can't I take him there, Justin? I mean, you can. I wouldn't. Why wouldn't you take him there, Justin? Because I don't know why the they're saying your name like that. They're being very snotty to you. I know. The the guys going behind him are Trey Turner, Garrett Cole, Shoei Otani, Jose Ramirez. So it's like that's it, it's just it's as less much about who else is available. Yeah. And I'm not okay. saying like, oh, he, he you shouldn't take him at pick 16 or 17 like if he's there at 16 or 17 and and i'm sitting there i'm like okay i may end up taking him because like, sure i think he belongs in a tier with bryce harper and Jordan alvarez who are both guys who have the same kind of things where they could be the best players in fantasy if they stay on the field i just don't know if i trust their ability to stay on the field that makes sense and you know, when, when we're at this high level in the first round, the margins are small. So you say like, yeah. oh, it's three pick difference. Yeah, it's three picks. Like that's a big deal in these rounds. And so you prefer Judge and and um, you mentioned Trey Turner and Garrett Cole. So that's totally understandable. I am very excited about Soto in New York. I know people <laughs> have talked like, oh, well, he doesn't really pull the ball or whatever. I think he does what he thinks is best for what he can get done. I think that Juan Soto is going to have a career high pull rate this year, and he's going to yeah. eat at Yankee Stadium. He's never been above 40, 39% last year is a career high. Um, I think we, and I don't even think it's going to be crazy. I don't think he's going to start pulling at 60%. But I think at home, Juan Soto is going to take advantage of that, of that right field porch and have, you know, 45, 46% pull rate and rip a ton of homers. Uh, I mean, he hit 35 last year. So it's in not like San Diego. Being, yeah, yeah. Like in San Diego, he had 35. That's so I think he's going to hit over 40, tons of runs and ribbies. Uh, he always contributes a little something in steals. He has 12 two different times, including last year, and then six, nine, and six uh, from 2020, 21, and 22. I'll, I'll take whatever. You know, get I'll pencil him down for seven. And if I get 10, 12 again, cool. But I'm looking at the power. Uh, production. I think it's going to be massive. And I think the batting average will go back up as well. He's in two, he hit 275 last year. Projected maybe for 280, but I think he could pop 300 again. I love Soto. I'm so excited about him in New York. I think you can make the argument that Soto belongs in the first year we talked about. Like totally. I, I really I do. Um, I mean, he doesn't steal many bases. That's fine. I don't really care about that. What I want really early on if i'm like really kind of picking things apart is a guy who can hit for power and give me a good batting average and he does like he is a he is a massive four category contributor and not a zero in that fifth category that's perfect for me i love Juan Soto. yep uh, i just i i can't get enough and i really think we're gonna see the mega year now listen i was talking about first year in a new place shouts to uh glenn colton and, and rick wolf that's a big part of their smart program but that's more about a contract he was trading. I don't there, think so. it's uh I don't think it's um unfair to kind of penalize him a little bit. Sure, have a little bit, but that's why he's eleven instead of in those single digits that we're talking about. We did see some struggles when he first moved over to San Diego. Sure. Now that was mid season, so I think it's a little bit different. But we also saw that he is probably still the best pure hitter in baseball. And 
he is now got a full off season to get ready for Yankee Stadium. Um, I I don't think there's any reason you can really like poo poo. Like he's had three straight seasons of 650 plus plate appearances. Last year was 708. Like he is he's gonna eat. And I just yeah I have no problem. You know like I would consider him probably as early as six or seven. Um, but like if he's on the board at like 10 for me, I'm, I'm fucking stoked. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think for me, it's, it's, it's seven. Uh, Acuna, Witt, J-Rod, Carroll, Betts, Tucker, those six in some order right then I'm ready for Soto. Yeah. Right. I think then. it just depends on if you want to take a picture or not. Yeah. Strider seventh right now. Tatis yeah. eight. I'm at seven. I'm probably not taking Strider. Nothing against him. I'm just not. I, I prefer Tatis and Soto, and those are the two that I'm going to hem and haw over at seven if those first six go in their normal order. Um, but yeah, I'm very, very giddy about Soto. I think he's going to have a great time there. And even if the big power surge doesn't come, what I'm hoping for, uh, sign me up for another 30. Like I, I don't think he's going to be much lower than uh, 30. I doubt, I doubt the power comes way down. So if I get 33 instead of like a jump into the 40s, but a boatload of runs, dude could push for 120 runs um, on that ball club with 90 plus ribbies and, and the contribution of steals. I, I'm just loving it. So anyway, I'm, I'm beating the dead horse here on Juan Soto. I'm very, very excited about him. Let's talk about a sometimes first rounder. You mentioned him. Um, when you were saying that where judge should be going, you said with Bryce Harper and this guy, Jordan Alvarez. Now he goes at 17. So he's right there. He consistently goes in the first round, but just not all the time, which is why he dips down here. He, his range in these 67 drafts is 12 to 21. So sometimes he's got that aggro person who says, I need Jordan Alvarez. And by the way, I got no problem with pick 12. If, if he's your guy and you want to bet on that, that health. Now you and I aren't going to do it because we're both going to cite his health and say that that scares us. But in terms of pure upside, if you could guarantee me the health on Alvarez, yeah, I could totally see pick 12. I could see higher than that, to be honest. If, if I gave you, 150. I said that that is a minimum that he plays. Where would you take Jordan Alvarez? Mid first round. Yeah. I like mean, he starts I think, to go right after Tatis and Soto for me. Yeah. I mean, I think you have an argument to say that he should go above both of those guys because the batting average could be 300 plus. 50 home runs. If it was 350 or 150 games in this world where I could guarantee health, he could hit 330 for God's sakes. Like that's yeah. the kind of hit. Like Alvarez isn't just some slugger. He is a hitter. But I so mean, you're, like you're fair. I, that's a fair I would, point. I would say, like if you if you said 150 games, give me a projection, a median projection. I'm doing mm -hmm. 45 to 90. Yeah, I mean, like a median projection of 45 to 90 at 150 games. Like, um. I just I don't know how you get there like I with him because he has just not been able to stay on the field regularly. Now he still he still gives you great production. When he, he dominates is, when he plays. Yep. There is the risk of a season where he just can't stay on the field at all, and that to me is something I avoid early on in drafts, um, especially with the comments from their new manager saying that they want him to play left field more. I know. Like, I know. that to me is that. like, nope, that is the Eloy thing last year. Remember, we are like, and, oh, Eloy's full-time DH, full-time DH, and then all of a sudden they're like, 
we want him to play in the left. He was playing a ton. Now, in slight fairness to Alvarez, he is a markedly better defender than Jimenez. So part of it for me was both Jimenez's inability and the injury risk. Like that, oh, I, I don't it, care. I don't care about the inability. I care about the injury risk. It's for me. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, about, but yeah. but being bad can also heighten that injury mm-hmm. risk. Taking bad paths, running into the wall, hurting himself the way Eloy did. Yeah. I don't have as much concern with that with Alvarez, but it's still enough that it bothers me. I don't yeah. really want him playing left field. So I, I I'm co-signing you there. I'm just saying there's a little bit difference between he and Eloy. Uh, but it's that same sort of deal of like just DH, please and let him hit 45 with like a 320 average and just go absolutely berserk for a year. Uh, but yeah, he's great. So since you can't be guaranteed the 150 games, where would you take Alvarez? Mid-second round. Okay. That, so Which I'm never going to get. Like, no, that's, that's not true. 21 is his max. That means you are getting him sometimes then. Yeah, I think that that becomes a really interesting argument because then you're you're debating between like an Austin Riley, an Ozzy Albies. I think especially once you get past those two guys, then are you sure he's a mid second rounder then? Because now you're worried that you might not even take him in that at that point. Is he a late second rounder for you then? Alvarez? Might be. I think I might take him over Albies. I think. I Riley, and I love Ozzy, but I would take Alvarez for sure because Al- Albies has had his own injury issues, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know, so like I don't, I don't think I could, but I'm definitely taking Riley. I think I can make the argument for other guys. I'm probably taking a pitcher there. Like that's that's fine. Like, but once once Alvarez's pick starts with a two, I'm on yeah. board. Like yeah, I, I can do it. So I, th- I think I can. Th- that's totally fine for me there. But yeah, especially if I've got some other like if I started off with like some like a Freddie Freeman, like a, just a a real stalwart appearance, like hog, like yeah, yeah, like then I'm I'm much more likely to be like okay. I'll take a little bit of a gamble here with uh, with Alvarez. Yeah, and that's if the if the price starts with a two ADP yeah. of seventeen. It's just not going to be there for me that often. All right, we got power speed game changers. And, you know, based on, let me check the clock here. This might end up being our last tier. I only have one other behind that for today anyway, but this is a thick tier. I cannot believe how many of these guys were here and all around the same ADP. This is just where you're getting these dudes. And why did I, oh, there we go. Uh, I couldn't find my uh, sheet, but we have, what is this? 10 guys, nine guys here. Um, and a bunch of them are very similar ADPs. Michael Harris at 32, Luis Robert, 34, a and uh, Randy Rosarena and Adelise Garcia have near equal ADPs, even out to the decimals, but it rounds up to 48 for both of them. Nolan Jones is at 59. Cody Bellinger's at 63, uh, Jazz Chisholm Jr. at 74, Josh Lowe at 81 and Christian Yelich at 82. So, it's a lot to take in here. Let's start with the two guys that are going inside the top 35 here with Harris and Robert. I see some similarities between the two. You know, we had our discussions about Harris last year. We were not strong on him going into that sophomore season, worried about him batting ninth and all that. He ended up having the great summer, kind of elevated himself. He's penciled in to bat sixth this year. I don't think he'll get stuck back at nine again. Um, have you changed on Michael Harris? Are, are you Are you in? Um, I still see all the flaws that I saw last year. Um, and I think that there are going to be 
Um, he's a little cheaper though. Remember? Cause our biggest issue is that he was like pick 25. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is a little bit cheaper. Um, I just don't love guys like that. You're spending a top two or three round pick on uh, who potentially could be batting ninth. I know it's one of the best offenses in baseball. I just don't <laughs> see that, that they would put him back down there again. I just don't see that. He was hitting ninth out of out of uh, as of mid September last year, like, like as a one off or consistently, pretty consistently before that. Like if you look, okay, yeah, then I'm, look, I am. Um, I I was thinking because I know in like August I thought he was batting second for a bunch. It was kind of, of I I think it was kind of a platoon thing. Where okay, against righties he was batting more you know towards the top and then hang on we lefties. can actually look at that on. B-Ref, you can go to the batting orders and you can toggle left, right, and uh, you can be, get it to highlight to a certain player. So let's see here. I'll, I'll go to September specifically. Um, yeah, against lefties. Well, of course, they didn't face that many lefties either. But here well, we go. Maybe it's not. Uh, okay, yeah. So a lot of late. Um, on 821, he batted second. Michael Harris did against a lefty. That's the only time he got above sixth, and he only got above seventh. Two, so two sixes and a and a two were the only three times that he wasn't seven, eight, or nine against lefties. So then against I, righties, real quick to see um, down the stretch. In September, there was still a decent bit of ninth against righties. Okay, so you that's fair. I thought he had established himself more in that six, seven range. They are still batting him nine. And uh, underscore, for those that might not understand why you're so concerned about that, obviously it's the volume piece, but like that can really hamper you batting ninth right down there, even in yeah. a good lineup because of the run, the ancillary runs and ribbies that you're losing being all the way down there. Yeah. Right. And I just, so that's your concern. Yeah. It's just, it's just a plate appearance thing. Like I want guys who either have just massive upside or, plate appearance hogs um and usually i tend to lean towards the plate appearance hogs the marcus simians of the world yeah um i just want guys who are going to play every day uh and harris should play every day but like being ninth really does hurt your overall potential in terms of gathering those plate appearances and he still swings out of the zone like 41 percent of the time like it's just there's I think there are going to be struggles and I think there are going to be amazing moments. And we saw that last year. I think that's who he is. So you taking Robert over Harris, Luis Robert batting third on that garbage White Sox team. Now so third on a garbage it. team is still way better than ninth on a good yeah. team. I promise you. So that is a really interesting question because I didn't think I would take Luis Robert, but I just sent you a screenshot of the current draft I'm in. And I took Robert in the third round. Now it you was took the three guys end. from this tier, by the yeah, way. Yeah, like, that's why I you said really it to you. love this yeah. tier. Uh, well, no, it's just those were the guys I, I'm drafting from the 15 spot, and those are the guys that dropped to me. It's um, that depth of the power speed guys, though, yeah. because you went pocket aces in this one. You went Cole Burns, but then you went Robert. Then you got your closer with Hayter, and then Bellinger and Lowe. So you still got three power speed guys as the foundation of your offense. Yeah. So, so talk to us about Robert, though. What you said you're not usually a huge fan, but you ended up with him here. It's the injuries, like from from a straight skills perspective, I really, really love Luis Robert, but the health is a problem. Like he just yeah. gets hurt a lot. Um, but in this kind of scenario where I took pocket aces to start off my draft, like I wanted some upside. Like he still had an amazing season, even though it ended on the IL. Um, there's just risk. Like there, like 
you could easily see him only playing 90 games because of his health sure. issues. Uh, and like you mentioned, the White Sox suck. Like they just suck. Like they are wretched. Um, it's going to be really bad. But he went 38 20, so two homers short of, a, short of a nice 40 20, but only 80 ribbies and 90 runs because yeah. they're so. So crappy. bad, yeah. But uh, yeah, the, the sky, the sky's still the limit with with Robert. He could even be better than this, believe it or not. Um, even though that's not the projection that you go with, the upside is still there. It's very, very rich with him. I would go Robert over Harris. Um, seeing this lineup stuff, I'm glad we checked it because in my mind, I'd had him having, like I said, having established himself a bit higher, and that is just not the case. I think he's still a threat to bat bottom third, and I can't have that out of my third round pick and sometimes second round pick, and that was our whole big issue last year with him, and even though he ended up having a great second half, um, yeah, I remain a bit tepid on Michael Harris. Now, not as anti as I was last year, so if he pops off, I'm not I'm not taking him a call because I'm not saying you can't draft him. I'm just saying be careful because then you look at these next two guys at 48, um, and this is a real love-hate for me because it's a guy I'm <laughs> obsessed with in a Rosarena and a guy I keep getting wrong because I keep projecting his downfall in Adelise Garcia. Uh, but they're both going around 48. Now, the one thing with Adelise last year um, is that he didn't run. Now, of course, that was not enough to save my wretched prediction. He was still incredible because he blasted 39 bombs and went 100-100 on the runs and ribbies. So even though he only had nine steals and you had to supplement your steals elsewhere, you were not upset with what you got from the 30-year-old. Uh, but I know Rosarena is a guy you love too. Is he your queer favorite over Garcia? Um, I think it kind of depends on what your team's looking like when you get there, right? Like, okay. Um, because there's obviously more power potential with Adelise and there's a lot more stolen base potential with Rosarena. But do you think Adelise gets the steals back? Or is he now this power guy and like I, I don't need to be running because I'm a power stud now? Um I think he might get some of them back, but like I don't think he's gonna get back. I don't I wouldn't like project him to get like twenty five. Twenty five again. again? Yeah. I, like maybe fifteen, maybe Okay. Maybe we're looking, and I, but I think the power probably comes back a little bit too. So like, sure, you know, maybe like a 32-15 season is probably more in line with what I would see him doing. Um, you know, and then there's batting average questions, right? He still doesn't make very good contact inside of the zone. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I know that the strikeout rates haven't been like atrocious necessarily, but like that's a 30% strikeout kind of profile. Um, yes. So I think there is risk. So I think it really, for me, depends on what your team makeup is looking like and what you think you can attack later in the draft, too. Like, if you think you can get stolen bases and batting average later in the draft, then maybe you go with an Adelise Garcia. But if, you know, you think you can get power later in the draft, then maybe a Rosarena is the kind of guy you want to go for. I was encouraged by Adelise Garcia's dip in uh, O-swing rate, swing outside of the zone, yeah. chase rate, if you will, down to 30%, easily a career best, seven points better than 2022, and that helped foster a 10% uh, walk rate, which was four, po four points higher than 2022 as well, also a career high. And his plate skills have always been my biggest issue with him, and, and his age. Like, he's a late breakout with bad plate skills, this has implosion potential. By the way, it still does. Now, yeah. I am not gonna go triple down and continue to advocate not to draft him, but he does still bring that risk. Like, 
Yeah. And, it, and you better believe if he flops this year, I will take that victory lap, okay? I'll be beaten from the first two years, but I'll get my victory lap. Um, but no, I, I, I do still worry, though. If the 10% walk rate isn't real, and you talk about how this is a 30% K rate profile with a you know 6 7% walk rate, that has some bottom-out potential. But I cannot deny how great uh, Adelise Garcia has been. He's viable at 48. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to stick my foot in my mouth again there and say you can't take him. But I will go Rosarena in most cases. Now with a Rosarena, one of the things about his steals is it's not terribly efficient. It hasn't always made the Rays stop him. Um, you know, 22 for 32 last year isn't too bad. But that's only that's only 69%. That's not that nice, nice. of a success rate. Um, and, you know, he's 32 for 44 the year before and 20 for 30 the year before that. So he gets his volume, but it's not always the smartest. I, I just I don't I don't want them to ever slow him down there. Do you have any concerns about that, given his efficiency not being the best? Not necessarily. Okay. Um, you know, like I think, you know, the Rays will let him probably run. Uh, a fair amount and you know maybe in certain spots they say hey listen you don't take off this time but uh you know especially with the new rules uh that introduced last year like i just can't imagine he becomes the guy that continues to lose stolen base attempts i think if anything we see him start to creep back up towards the mid-20s uh and maybe even the high 20s in terms of stolen bases that'd be great uh, i would love to see that from a rosarena if he could even add more and push back toward that 32 you know gonna get your kind of 20 something homers uh, solid runs and ribbies on a good team there and then a decent average now it is coming down every year um yeah 274 263 254 the pattern would say that this year is going to be 243. i know that's not how it works but uh, do you think that there's batting average risk there with the rosarena i do um you know like on top of the uh kind of just the averages themselves coming down uh the end zone contact numbers were not, I don't want to say atrocious, but they were not as good as they were previously. Uh, and I do think that there is a little bit of risk that he hits like 240 something. So I also see, you know, because of his speed, because of his ability to make hard contact when he does make contact, like he could run a higher BABIP than you would expect, which uh, could bump it right back up. Like I wouldn't be surprised if he hit. 260 or 270 or even 280 again um but i'm probably projecting him in the 250 range yep i think that makes the most sense there just so you don't get too too over excited about what um what we could see from rosarena there is some you know if, I, if i'm gonna be honest about the the flaws of, of Adelise Garcia. I can't sit there and pretend that a Rosarena doesn't carry some of the same ones. He too spiked walk rate this year from 7% to 12%, but I don't know if that's, you know, uh, bankable going forward. It also had a nice chase rate dip, which I appreciate, but I think both of them carry some risk while still being pretty strong players right there around that pick 50. Let's jump to another guy here. Nolan Jones at pick 59. He's been a big topic of conversation across the fantasy industry for obvious reasons. Huge pop-up season in Colorado, uh, but it was buoyed by a colossal BABIP. Now, he is in the literal best place to try to maintain a high BABIP, but it's still not going to you know, have a 401. You still can't bank on that in any reasonable way. But he needed just 106 games to go 2020, Justin. And yeah, he had a 30% K rate, but also a 13% walk rate. 
What do you make a 26-year-old Nolan Jones? And hey, good job, Cleveland. You could never use a guy like that. <laughs> um, I think this is bust potential written all over it. I mean, worst zone contact in all of baseball for the huge downside. Yeah, like in, and it's not because like of a massive like swing and miss problem either. Swing strike rate wasn't even bad. I think it was around 12%. Correct. Um, and so it's about like because he has that walk rate, he's passive at the plate sometimes. Um, and he will see, you know, called third strike calls. Uh, I just think that the batting average downside is really, really scary. And I know that people are like, what do you mean? He almost hit 300 this year. And I think a lot of people think Colorado automatically protects it. And I, it's just, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't guarantee you. Yeah. And I, I mean, cause what we're seeing is a guy that has the same type of profile um from a hitting perspective as like a joey gallo um like because like you go and you look at like joey gallo's zone contact and like yeah he's like a 72 percent career zone contact guy that's atrocious 85 percent is around league average that's yeah that's so nolan bad. jones last year uh in spite of the uh, amazing numbers, 74.5% zone contact. Like that is really, really bad. And that's going to continue to lead to a guy who is not going to be able to, you know, produce those kind of batting average numbers. So like, I, I, this is one of those where I really, I look at like some of the other projection systems out there and, you know, some of them have him for 265, some of them have him for 279, like, I think that those are all overinflated. I would probably project him to be like a 240, 245 batting average guy. Um, I think there's going to be some power. I think there's going to be some speed. But I also think the downside doesn't warrant the upside because I think there is a really good chance he hits like 205 and it's out of a job. That, I mean, that would obviously be the bottom out. Holy crap, everything really went sideways for Nolan Jones. But I don't think it's off the table and again yeah. my guess is that a lot of people that are, are heavily buying in on him are really going to attribute colorado and coors protecting a lot they're of also the potential downside they're also doing something that we tell people not to do every year on random players they're extrapolating out to a 600 plate appearance season and going this guy could be 30 30 like yeah. you know like like yeah i mean he could be like that i guess but like he he isn't like a particularly fast guy. So like 30 well, and, bases. <laughs> and if you had really, you know, if he had really had 600 point appearances, then that 401 Babbitt would have come way down, right? Yeah. Things would have massively changed if you add on another 200 point appearances. You know, what's worth noting too about Colorado and everything. Guess where he had his 434 Babbitt on the season? Yeah, it was on the road. Yeah. And I so like that's going to come way down. I and think so, there's something to be said for pitchers not having the time to readjust to him. Like, you know, like, yeah, the, he didn't have the, they didn't have a book on him and he just, yeah. he ate him alive and he had a great season. It was awesome. And, um, you know, it really generated, uh, some, some great intrigue and, you know, poking a little fun at, at Cleveland there for just letting him go when outfield's been an issue for them for quite some time. Um, and again, he wouldn't have done this with Cleveland. I don't think, I still think he's better than the options they have. But um, is there any spot that you are taking him? Realistically, I'm not talking like if he drops to pick Probably 150 not. or whatever. But no. yeah, okay. I figured that you were going to say he's off your board, essentially, Nolan Jones. Yeah, I just, 
he's just not a guy that is going to be anywhere close to 80s. His low. Does that do anything for you? It's 20 picks uh, off of his average. Let's see. So uh, 80 would put him around Josh Lowe. Who you who just took. Who I just took. Um, uh, and Christian Yelich and Paul Goldschmidt. Goldie. Yeah. JT uh, Real Muto. I think here's an interesting one is O'Neill Cruz. Like, I think I'd probably still go Cruz, but I'll um, go Jones. But that's I think you can make the I think you make the argument. I think eighty makes sense actually. Like I think if he yeah. was going around pick eighty, I would probably be like, okay, yeah, I think I could find myself grabbing some Nolan Jones at some point. But um, yeah, the extrapolators are the ones pushing him up. I'm sure he has a min of of thirty six for. He's Nolan also Jones, not so. a very good defender. He's got a great arm, which is good, but yeah. he's like he his his uh um range was 13th percentile last year in the Ooh. Like he is a bad defender and that is a big outfield. Exactly, that's the wrong place to to be a bad outfielder too yeah. and so okay, that's a good point. I actually didn't realize that. So maybe that starts eating in maybe to the occasional playing time as well. So just Remember he came up as a here, third baseman. That's right. That's right. Because because of his arm. So yeah, this could this just has a lot of bust potential. Yeah. And I just think it's too risky. And these next four guys that we're going to finish with, they all feel better than, than him in a lot of ways. Uh, let's start with Cody Bellinger, who you also put on this this DC that you're currently in. We talked about it at the outset. He doesn't have a team currently. We also talked about him at first base. Um, in any read on where he might go, has anything changed for you? I can't even remember what we said at the first base. Preview, I still think he ends up back in Chicago. Like, I just I do think too. That, that is like the spot. Um, Mike Talkman is their center fielder right now. Sorry, yeah. Mike Talkman and Alex Chamberlain, but come on. Yeah, I just think he ends up back in Chicago. Um, and like, I, I know that like he probably doesn't necessarily repeat what he did last season, but you're not drafting him to repeat what he did last season. Uh, no, he'd be a much higher pick if that were the case. But like you, I like the people are like, well, he could just fall apart again. Like outside of an injury, like the skills were fantastic. Eighty-seven percent zone contact with power. There's speed. Um, you know, he still is a guy who shows has shown the ability to take walks. Like you know, strikeout rate the last two seasons have been under seventeen percent. Like there's just health is the only real concern with Cody Ballinger to me. Like I don't, yeah. I'm not worried that like he's going to fall apart again, unless he gets hurt again. But health is an issue, but at this point in the draft, like I'm, I'm willing to take that gamble, especially with the first base eligibility. We talked about during the first base preview, that first base falls off. Like he's one of those, like right now on my DC, like I've got him slotted into first base. Like I, you know, you know, I have the ability to move in the outfield, but right now he's my first baseman. Um, and I'm totally fine with that. I, I co-signed that on Bellinger. I think pick 63 is late enough coming off of the excellent 26-20 uh, season that the injury risk is kind of put into the price because yeah. if he didn't have that risk, I think he's a top 40 type pick. So yeah, I would definitely take him and we'll see where he goes when he gets signed because we know the price will go up. Yeah. Jazz Chisholm Jr. is a guy that, you know, just based on your recent outlook, the last few years of really being risk averse with health, Makes me think you're probably not going to be a big fan here. Um, the transition to the outfield didn't go super well, but he played 97 games, went 19-22, so not bad. You know, a homer shy of 2020, uh, but he hit 250, and again, only played 97 games, so was at 50 runs and ribbies. What do we think in year two as an outfielder for Jazz Chisholm? 
Au contraire, mon frère. Like, uh oh, I, I'm sorry. The price is finally kind of right on on Jazz. That's true. He used uh, to be like a top forty, top fifty guy yeah, pretty easily, like, and that's where the risk was was pumped up. Go ahead on on so Jazz. I can see the argument. I, I'm still taking probably Josh Lowe and probably Christian Yelich over him. Mm -hmm. um, and they're both going like five to 10 picks later. So uh, I probably don't end up with Jazz Chisholm, but especially but there's a lot of drafts where all three will be available. Jazz's max yeah. is 100, right? So yeah. you, you could be at the table with all three at that pot at that and point. I want to say where I took Josh. Okay. So Chisholm had just gone when I took Josh or no, no Chisholm was still on the board when I took Josh Lowe. Okay. Um, so you do like low over Jazz Chisholm. Yeah. So, but especially for those of you, and I know the vast majority of people who play fantasy baseball and probably listen to this podcast play in 10 and 12 team leagues mm -hmm. um, with IL spots. Fucking take Jazz Chisholm and pick 70 something. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll backfill the injury time um, because yeah. I can throw them on my IL. You definitely want to be smart about your roster construction in terms of like making sure you're not taking too many Jazz Chisholm types, right? You don't. You know, because you may only have three or five IL spots and you don't want to mm -hmm. load those up. But I mean, yeah, if he does put together a 500 or a 600 plate appearance season, like we're talking first round pick value. Um, oh, yeah, we're talking 30 30 type, right? And I so mean, I you think, look at what he's done, like Jazz yeah. could be a 30 30 type guy if he can find that elusive 550, 600 plate appearance season. So, I mean, I think this isn't a bad time to take that gamble. Okay, um, I had you wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, I mean he's only 26 too. So like, yeah, exactly. Uh, I like it. Uh, or oh, wait. yeah, going into his age 26 season. Okay, because it. Oh yeah, he yeah, just sorry. turned 26. He just turned 26. I was thinking that he just turned 27. So yeah, 26. Like, yeah, I mean, is it a gamble that I'm going to take very often? Probably not. But I. I see the argument, especially, like I said, if those of you in your standard 10 and 12 team leagues, like absolutely. Like I'm going to labor um, in just a few weeks. Soon. Yeah. And uh, and that is a 12 team mixed auction uh, with batting average, not on base percentage. So like, I am definitely like Chisholm will be in play for me there because I believe they have unlimited IL spots uh, and I'm shooting, you know, First place wins, second place gets nothing. So like second place gets forgotten. Yeah, exactly. So I, I as I know, having finished second place last year in Top Wars. Um so uh yeah, he definitely would be kind of on the board for me, uh, in a way that he hasn't been because the price is that much cheaper this year. Yeah, and that and that's a good point because he had been so expensive that that's a big reason why you were off of jazz, but now price comes down more affordable makes more sense power speed stud uh josh low at 81 yelich at 82 you got to kind of got the young and old but the power speed for both let's talk about low because he he's that great example of what happens when a guy has a rotten sample and the fantasy world just completely discards and we talk about this concept all the time but it's 198 plate appearances of awfulness two homers three steals 627 ops it just went horribly in 2022 people were spending tons of fab on him nothing came to fruition and so he was an afterthought kind of pick last year which is crazy to really go that deep right like it shouldn't be that big of an overreaction if you loved him that much the year before based off of 198 plate appearances but then bam he instantly comes back 20 
32 with a 292 average in 501 plate appearances for 20, Josh Lowe at age 25. Going into his age 26 season, obviously you like him enough that you, you drafted him in the draft you are currently in. This price point does make sense for you. What's he do for an encore? Can he get better? More of the same? A little pullback? Where are you at on, on Lowe's numbers specifically? I think there's probably a little bit of a pullback here. Like, yes, 25% strikeout rate uh, was really, really encouraging for a guy who had been like a 30 plus percent strikeout rate in the minors and in the majors. It's still below average zone contact, and we're, we're closing in on like a 40% O swing and a 15% swing strike rate. So, like, I do think the strikeout rate probably ticks back up. Um, I think the batting average definitely comes down. He had a 357 BABIP last year. Uh, but like, I think we're talking about like a guy who could probably hit 250 um, with, you know, high teens, maybe low 20s home runs and high 20s, maybe low 30s stolen bases. Like, so like, yeah, yeah totally fine. The upside is enormous. I really debated with that pick um, taking Yelich because I think Yelich is just the safer commodity. But considering I started off with pocket aces, I wanted a little bit more upside potential. Um, and so I went with low. Plus, I know that probably in the, you know, this is my last draft champions, I think, uh, that I'm going to do. Uh, like, I don't know that I'm going to get another share of Josh Lowe. So, like, for me, part of it was like, hey, I'm taking in one of my cheaper drafts before I start my big money drafts here next month. I think that makes sense. Yeah. And I'm pretty excited about Lowe. He was somebody that I definitely liked as a prospect and he was coming up and we thought he could be a stud. Um, and I can't sit here, by the way, and say that like I had him on a bunch of teams either. I was also part of the discarding. So I'm not always like casting aspersions on everyone else. I'm looking at the, in at myself in that same mirror and saying like, why did you jump off of him that much considering how much you liked him? Uh, but yeah, there's a lot to like here. And I don't think the price is crazy. Obviously, it's a huge jump off of the 400, 500, whatever afterthought he was last year. But I actually kind of expected him to maybe be like a top 50 guy. Like, why is he not where Nolan Jones is? Just because Nolan Jones is in Colorado, um, I think and, and people it, are extrapolating. I think it's the extrapolation of it. I also think that maybe there are still people that go like, "Oh, like he was really, really, really bad in 2022." Like, and so they're going to meet in the middle, which I don't think is a bad, you know, um, kind of thought process. But mm -hmm. uh, I think the bad thought process is on Nolan Jones. Nolan Jones should be in yeah. this area. Exactly. Like you were saying earlier, bring him down to these guys and he's on your on your board a lot more. Yeah, it's not so much that Lowe should be up. It's that Jones should be down. I yeah. just thought that the community might push Lowe that high and I'm kind of glad that they haven't because he remains affordable and I, and I will stay interested. If you want to go with the more stable guy, at least in terms of bankable numbers, we don't know about the health because he's going to be age 32 this year, but Christian Yelich could be that guy. I think he's back. Right. The last two years have shown that, like, it's not back to MVP Yelich, but it's not, is his career almost over Yelich, the guy who went 9 9 back in 2021 in 475 plate appearances, 14 19 in 2022, and then 19 28 last year. Like, kind of, kind of took the stair step back, right? Took a jump yep. in 2022 to say, hey, 
I still got something. And then really strong last year to say, hey, I'm still a stud who can be a top 100 type guy. I trust that you're probably buying into this uh, based on the fact that you included him with Lowe uh, and said, you know, Jones was down here with these guys there in consideration. Do you think that Yelich is, is back in mo a bankable, established stud again at age 32? Yeah, I mean, two straight seasons where he's had 630 plate appearances or more. Uh, like, the power is never going to be what it was, uh, you know, back, you know, in 2019 with the rabbit Unless ball. Unless they give us but, another rabbit ball. Yeah, uh, but, like, I think he is probably, like, a anywhere from a 250 to a 270 hitter. Uh, so my projection will be, like, 260-something. Uh, I think high teens home runs and 20-plus stolen bases with the potential for, you know, 30 because we saw 28 last year. Like, I just think he is it seems super like, efficient, too. Yeah, like, I just think the, the floor is pretty safe as long as the back issue doesn't crop back up. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of an upside versus floor argument between him and a guy like Josh Lowe. Yeah, I, I think that's that's totally fair, too. And Yelich, don't forget, has some upside still, too. Don't rule out veterans as yep. having upside um, just because Lowe's more, like, dreamable as, like, an unknown. Again, I'm not saying that Yelich is going to get back to 18, 19. I'm with you there. Even with yep. a rabbit ball, he probably doesn't get back to 40-something bombs. But if he went, like, 27, 40, it wouldn't be that crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I yep. think that would be uh, on the table. So he's got some upside of his I think own. the 27 might be a little bit crazy for me, but the 40 definitely is not. Yeah, especially with his efficiency. 28 yeah. for 31 last year. That is so, so good. Uh, but yeah, there's so much to like with Yelich. Definitely back in the mix, but there's so many power speed guys that it's keeping its price perfectly fair at pick 82. So I really, really yeah. like that. This is a great group here. Who's your favorite guy at their price? Um... Ooh, at their price. Um, probably Rosarena, probably. That's fair. Uh, I was looking at him, or I'll just take the cheapest guy and say Yelich. Yeah, I, I mean, really I think like Yelich may be the guy I end up with the most. And one of the, yeah. one of the reasons why I uh, why I went low is just because I know Yelich is going to end up on a bunch more of my team. So, mm -hmm. uh, like, um, but honestly, they're like outside of nolan jones i will probably draft all of these guys this year yeah i could see myself with pretty much all of them even somebody like adelise garcia as negative as i've been on him i take him over jones right. that's for sure <laughs> I, like i mean i don't i don't really want him at his adp but if he starts trickling into the 50s yeah i could see taking adelise i mean he does have power right like it's not that i ever thought all of his skills sucked it's that i worry about him hitting 210 um that's like my biggest issue because he could this do will it be this will be the year you draft him and the year he falls apart. It, that'll be perfect, right? Yeah. It, that's the only way for it to come to fruition is for me to put do him it on publicly a on yeah. a like team that <laughs> put him on a main event see. squad. Yeah. Put him and on then the it'll event, finally him, happen. Yeah. You know, do it in in tout or in labor, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're the Adelie's guy. Oh, hey, he you were right, Spore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good, good job. Yeah. At least you don't have him anywhere, right? Yeah. Uh, just on three of my most important teams. Oh, cool. That is exactly how it would play out. That'd be pretty awful. I would hate that. But yeah. um, that's going to wrap us up for today. We will get in still tons of amazing outfielders to talk about, by yeah. the way. I really, really like in these top ends of outfield. Um, we may do so a many super long episode. Uh, Thursday. Thursday, yeah. Yeah. Maybe I, I'm fine with that. And, yeah. And just, just really, really dive in. A lot of it, yeah. 
All right, that so. sounds great. Well, Justin, I will talk to you then, and then you can update me on your uh, on on this DC because I really like the foundation you're building with it. But um, I don't right. know if I like it as much as you do, but like I, I, I it's definitely Robert's a guy I don't draft very often. I'm mm-hmm. not a huge fan of, but even with that, I like that you went Bellinger low, so you got three power speed guys. You're pitching. Cole yeah, my pitching I mean, is it's, yeah is I think, unreal. I can't wait to see what you do with the middle hitting. That's really going to determine yeah. it. And so I want to see what that update looks like on Thursday. But yeah, it is a very slow Thursday. draft, so it's going to take a while. So. Hopefully you have like five, six picks by then. It'd be pretty I bad if so. you come back with like two picks. <laughs> All right, man. Enjoy that uh, community retrospective that I sent you three and a half hours. I will. Of our, our, one of our favorite shows. And I I'll talk wait. to you on Thursday. Take it easy.